0: Welcome to Making Sense of MarTech and a regular set of conversations with some of the most interesting people in marketing, technology, and advertising. I'm Juan Mendoza, I write the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. It's a weekly email that covers important shifts in the marketing technology industry. People work in the world's largest media, tech, and marketing companies read it. You can read, listen, and subscribe at themartechweekly.com. Okay, today I am joined by Ben Shapiro and Phil Gamash. Ben is the founder of I Hear Everything, and he's a prolific podcast host who oversees three big tent podcasts, the MarTech Podcast, Voices of Search, and the Revenue Generator Podcast, along with a number of bespoke audio projects as well. Uh, Ben is a media entrepreneur who started his journey with the MarTech Podcast and has since scaled to more than 2,000 published episodes, achieving more than 2 million downloads. Uh, Also joining me today is Phil. Uh, He is the co-founder of the Humans of MarTech podcast. It's a show that helps early stage marketers to really level up by discovering the constantly evolving world of marketing technology. It's a side project that Phil and his co-founder, Jonathan Taylor, manages alongside Phil's full-time work in lifecycle and growth marketing at wordpress.com. So today we're doing a bit of a meta episode. We're talking about podcasting in the MarTech industry. So it's a podcast about podcasting, but between Phil, Ben, and myself, our approaches to content creation and distribution are as diverse as they are interesting. So we discuss what it really takes to break into podcasting, how it's done well, and how it's shaped our perspective on the industry. And so now I, I give you Ben and Phil, how are we doing? I'm excited to be here.
1: Super pumped to be here, one. Uh, flattered to be here, especially alongside Ben, a long time listener, as Martech Pod is a big influence on why I started a podcast. So, uh, yeah, thanks. For the but, you invite. know,
2: Phil, I was gonna say the same thing about you. We finally get to meet in <laughs> person, and um, oh my god, it's Phil, he's here. This is great.
0: <laughs> well, I'm very excited. I mean, I think. Uh, Between the three of us, we have a very interesting perspective on the MarTech industry holistically. But also, what does it look like to actually create content that people love to listen to? So uh, I'm going to start with some introductions. So um, I want to give our listeners a a bit of a snapshot into why you founded your podcast and how it's grown and changed over time. So, uh, Ben, how about you kick us off?
2: Sure. Um, The story goes... I guess this is like the second half of my career up to this point, but I was working, running marketing departments at early stage startups in Silicon Valley. And that is the equivalent of one year job stints. And then you go find another job because that's kind of the life cycle of an early stage startup marketer. And after my last job, I was just frustrated. I didn't know what to do. I started consulting, uh, not thinking that I was going to become a consultant, but I was taking on short-term projects to pay the bills until I found my next J-O-B. And after, I don't know, two or three years of consulting, one thing led to the next. and I realized that I had a relatively sustainable practice and I wanted to move beyond just leveraging my personal network to find consulting clients. And so, you know, like doctors make the worst patients. Often marketers make the worst marketers. I was three years into running a marketing consultancy and I never actually done any marketing. And so the first thing I did was start a content strategy and I was waiting waiting for immediate results, which is not how it works. Um, But I started the MarTech podcast to try to not only meet Perspective clients, most of my customers were B2B SaaS companies, but also, you know, potentially figure out a way to get the people that were listening to the content I was producing to hire me as well. It was really meant to be a lead generation practice. And I guess I should say channel. And it was an experiment that totally failed. I never got a single lead from the MarTech podcast because fortunately the audience was growing relatively quickly. And before I put in the like monetization hooks of like, Hey, you should hire me. I ended up uh, feeling like the audience was big enough to start a sponsorship model and that ended up working out. And then the next thing, you know, I was off to the races and started building multiple podcasts. And now I'm here sitting next to Phil happy as a clam. So that's, I guess, how I got started.
0: (laughs) How about you, Phil, how did you get into this space?
2: Yeah, so
1: I've been kind of working in MarTech for uh, about a decade now, both B2C and, and B2B. I kind of started in, in startups, uh, notably Clipfolio and, and Close.io, and uh, now I work on a bigger team at WordPress.com. I also spent like a stint of uh, my career teaching as kind of like a side gig. Uh, my local university in Ottawa put on this kind of like boot camp program for new grads that kind of like taught them digital marketing. And it was taught by 10 different pros that were like teaching uh, that were working and teaching at the same time. So I got a good taste of like, just like talking about marketing, researching it, like diving into like practices. And I ended up like stopping doing that, but like continuing the teaching and the ranting and in, in the form of rants on, on a podcast and kind of started the humans and tech podcast with Jonathan Taylor, who's a, clip folio right now. We started during the pandemic essentially, like we were meeting regularly and just like jamming and, and ranting on stuff. And like one day we were just like, why don't we just like hit record and, and like see if there's like something here that like other folks are kind of interested in and uh kind of like took out for uh, took off from there. It's a bit of a passion project, it's still super young for us. Like we're currently hovering around like 60-ish episodes, and our, our goal in, in season two is to like hit the 10k downloads uh milestone. So, like, still a, a tiny Tiny, tiny show compared to some of the stuff that Ben's accomplished. But our mission statement behind the podcast is to help future proof the humans behind all of that Martech. lot of content out there is specific to like how to use the marketing technology, but not a lot of it is about like the industry and like the, the career behind it. So we dive into like technical aspects, like email domain rep, analytics, reporting, technical SEO, but a big portion of our show is covering like strategies and focusing on the people side of things like productivity, career strategy, when to quit your job, how to find a job at a company that you love. And one of the questions we ask every guest uh, that we have on the show is how they kind of balance their personal life and their work life and how do they remain happy. So um, yeah, it's been super fun so far. And we're going to dive into some of those things, but it's uh, like a, a, a side passion, uh, more of like a side hustle for me right now.
2: Phil, you're so, you're so modest. Everywhere I look for <laughs> MarTech podcasts, you show up. So it doesn't matter how many <laughs> downloads you're getting people are listening to the show and it's very visible. I feel like you're underselling yourself a little
0: bit.
1: I appreciate that, Ben. Thanks.
0: (laughs) And you know what, Phil, I like, I love the name. I mean, I know it's a bit of a play on words on, um, was it the humans of New York or that sort of content project of interviewing people all over the place in New York and all these very interesting stories. So I like that the humans of MarTech because, you know, the MarTech industry is so diverse. And there's so much diversity in how people do their work, in gender diversity. I think there's this, and also some racial diversity as well. There's just a huge this thing, it's a melting pot of culture. I mean, I absolutely love it in that way. And I, I think that your name reflects that really well. But let's get into the practice of podcasting. And I want to talk about how podcasting is a really interesting channel and how content is distributed and mediated through various platforms. You could almost say that podcasting is as ancient as email in a lot of ways because it's been around forever, but only recently has really sort of seen a lot of growth and a lot of people launching their own shows, particularly the past three to five years. But podcasting operates on a very old open protocol, RSS, to distribute content. And you know, back in the day, in the sort of early web, RSS was all uh, a big way in which people received content, articles. You know, I even use RSS today to collect links and research for the Martech Weekly. But on the other end, you have these. Platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pocketcasts, and Google Podcasts, and, and these other platforms that actually own the experience and the majority of the data that's collected from users from content being distributed, and I think that's really interesting. And in that podcasts are both open and they're closed. I listen personally on Apple podcasts. So a lot of my experience on podcasts is mediated through that particular platform, but it's also open in the sense that you can distribute your podcasts in all of these channels. You can even create your own, um, your own channel for distributing podcasts. And so uh, I find that really interesting, but I want to throw to uh, both of you and and understand how you navigated podcast content distribution and measurement and what has been more successful on your on some platforms over others? I mean, Ben, did you want to kick us off? How have you approached uh, podcast distribution and measurement?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think that those are two different things. I mean, distribution, a lot of that goes through our hosting platform. So we use Art19. We started off on Libsyn, but basically whenever we're uploading a piece of content, it's getting spread to all the different podcatchers. And that makes getting the accessibility part pretty easy. So, you know, in terms of just being in the places where people are listening, if you're not a podcaster, most of the hosting platforms will take care of that for you. You don't have to have individual relationships with Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeart. It's, It's all sort of done with one service. I think podcast growth is really the question here is like how do you figure out how to market your podcast and then what are you looking where are you looking to see if it grows um, i think that there's four different ways to grow a podcast and juan stop me if i'm getting off track but i think about organic viral paid and partnerships so organic for me is creating a high volume of content it's the reason why we do relatively short form content we want to Produce episodes that people are going to listen to the whole thing. So we do 15 to 20 minute episodes, but it also gives us the ability to get five titles. So when you think about your SEO practice, that's really important. Just having multiple cracks at the app store or the the algorithm uh, matters because people aren't just looking for MarTech podcasts, they're looking for decoding search algorithms. And so if you have a title for that, like Phil does on the Humans of MarTech, then you're going to show up first. So the more titles, the better. Um, Virality. Often people think about how do I get my guests to share your content? I think the guests are secondarily important. It's more about how do you get the other people who are involved on the podcast to share the content? So how are you getting your guests, not your listeners, to share the content? And a lot of that is prompting them and creating um, collateral or, or things for them to share. Most of what's differentiated us in terms of growth is our investment in paid We do a lot of advertising on other podcasts. We've kicked the tires on social media, on programmatic advertising, all sorts of different ways to find marketers who listen to podcasts and put our content in front of them. And the last is partnerships, whether it be professional associations, doing things like this, getting together with you guys. You know, we're all in the same sphere. We're all working towards similar goals. There's no reason why we actually have to compete, right? People can listen to multiple podcasts. So we should all be friends and we should all support each other and, and grow the industry. And so the more that I think people take that mindset, it just helps all of the, it raises the water level. So all the, what's the, the saying? High tide raises all boats. And I guess you also asked about, you know, how am I evaluating? It, it seems like the industry standard is downloads. I hate that metric because a download is getting a file on a device. It's not a listener and it's not a listen, but everything is disaggregated. So we're kind of trying to get down to the next level. And we're looking at not only the number of IP addresses we get from our hosting platform, and then trying to figure out how many households we reached from that. And that's what some of the attribution platforms are doing. But basically trying to figure out how many actual people are listening um, and being less reliant on the individual podcatchers to give us data on followers and subscribers and, and sort of getting to the core data set. So uh, feel, feel free to chime in here. I'm sure there's a million things I left out.
1: No, oh, I love, uh, I love your strategy around like uh, doing like short bits of episodes, like breaking them up and having different titles for organic reach. I think that's really smart. We haven't thought of doing that at all. Like initially our, our strategy was like, let's make super small, like short episodes, because like if someone's out, like walking their dog, they don't have like uh, three hours to listen to like a Joe Rogan podcast or like breaking it up. Right. And that was like the initial goal. But like, as we got along into like deeper topics and like, we get a guest on and like, we look at the time, we're like, holy crap, like it's already close to 40 minutes. And, um, but yeah, I really like the, that idea there. In terms of distribution, it's it's super similar to, to you. I haven't really thought about distribution since I set up my podcast on my host. We use Transistor.fm. They take care of like all of the distribution stuff for us. They make sure that like they update our RSS and it's like on all the fees themselves. I will say that like folks listening that like they're maybe thinking of like starting a podcast one day. If you're going to focus on like one of the podcast players like Apple Podcasts is particularly important because all of the other uh, or a lot of the other popular directories pull their data from Apple instead of just like your, your main RSS feed. So if there's one to, to, to focus on, that that's one to, to keep a close eye on. But yeah, in terms of measurement uh, downloads for sure, uh, Transistor has this cool like analytics dashboard where um, it allows us to keep an eye on a couple of key metrics one of them is estimated subscribers. So it's the rough formula for uh, episode downloads in the first 24 hours. So if you think of folks that are subscribed to you on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or, or pocket cast, like all of the ones that are subscribed, the second that you publish an episode, it's automatically getting downloaded in your feed so that when you open the podcast app, like the new episode is already there, ready to go. So usually the folks smart. that download it in the first 24 hours, they're likely to be subscribed to, to your show. So even though like the, big players won't tell you exactly how many are subscribed that first like 24 hours is a rough indicator of how many subscribers you have but it's like not perfect right like we we see the metric go up and down like we had Corey haynes on the podcast earlier in season two and like estimated subscribers was like really high up and then we had like some lower tier guests later on and then like that number dropped a little bit so like take it with a grain of salt but obviously like first 30 day downloads is like my favorite like mainstay metric to kind of see that like episodes that we did like a year ago how many downloads did we get in the first 30 days compared to like how we're trending at now that's that's what I'm looking at. But um, yeah, it's been interesting to keep an eye on like who are the most popular podcast apps for for digesting our content. Most of the downloads come from Apple and and Spotify. One that's been growing is is Pocket Cast. They were acquired by Automatic. So I got a good taste of the product. That's what I used to listen to podcasts. I hate Apple podcasts. I was on it for too long. Uh, Like I do an update on my phone and I lose like all of the shows, all of the history on it. Like Pocket Cast is a really good experience there. Um, it's, uh, but the number three after, uh, Apple and Spotify is, uh, just downloads from embeds. So we, uh, transistor has a really cool, like podcast embeds that we can just like embed on our website. So, um, we talked about some of that organic reach there. We get a lot of like downloads from just like folks finding us online, going on our site and just listening to it, like on the page itself. But, uh, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question. Juan.
0: Yeah, no, it's, it's really helpful. I mean, there's there's a different there's a difference in perspective here, which is super super interesting. I mean, um, Ben Shapiro, you've been uh, working in the space for years and years now, and you've really honed that way to promote and distribute podcasts. Whereas uh, Phil, you know, you're looking at early stage growth and guest selection, and how does that translate to subscribers? And I, I just think it's absolutely fascinating how. These different platforms completely change the experience for the podcast listener. So to your point, Phil, uh, someone using Pocket Cast versus someone using Apple Podcasts, it's a very different experience. Um, It's very different in terms of content discovery. It's very different in terms of how you save and manage your subscribers. But it's the same content that's distributed across all these different platforms. I personally use Apple Podcasts. And you know what? I wish they just had one UX designer, like just one use, actually go through the platform and pick out all the pain points because I mean, it's a, it's kind of like, you know, a a lot of sort of Apple's early software, it was, you know, they built it and they shipped it and then they didn't do much with it. And so, you know, you you kind of see that with Apple Podcasts. They just did a a recent update, which is much better. But still, I mean, even just the latest podcasts, you know, the latest episodes that come out that I'm subscribed to, that's really hard to find. And that's really difficult and challenging, even just to access the what's the latest episodes at the top of a feed. But with Spotify, it's so different. You know, Spotify has now released commenting features. Uh, They are also releasing video. You know, you, you may have heard that they acquired the Joe Rogan podcast to really sort of invest heavily in that podcasting space because now they're moving outside of uh, audio streaming and going into content that's sort of adjacent to that podcasts, TV shows, all kinds of things like that. So it's a very interesting time to be a podcaster and it's a very interesting time to be working with some of these platforms as well. Um, I, and a small note on the Martech Weekly and the Making Sense of Martech podcast. I mean, when I started the podcast, it was really born out of a need from my audience to ask me to go deeper into certain topics because I, I every week, I'm featuring different things, I'm featuring uh writers and contributors all across the web talking about MarTech. And I would get emails back saying, hey, can you go deeper into these different topics? And then I was thinking about, oh, what's the best way to do that? What's the best way to sort of create the maximum amount of leverage with minimal amount of effort because I work full time, of course. Uh, but I was thinking, well, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful to have some of these people on and have a conversation about that particular subject matter or that content that they wrote and was popular on the the MarTech Weekly Newsletter. And so I started looking at this as a, this is a way to kind of almost like a circle diagram where you have the podcast is going deeper into top. Topics which engages the uh, newsletter audience. The newsletter audience is helping me find those topics through what they're clicking on and what they're giving me feedback on that helps me with the selection of those guests and around and around it, it goes. And it's been very interesting over the past 12 months, seeing how that um, stretches out. And you know what? The biggest takeaway over that in terms of distribution is that my audiences are very different on both channels. I have voracious readers on the, on the newsletter and I have, Uh, podcast fanatics that would listen to every single episode on the podcast channel and audio and written content is so so different i remember when i put out the the first idea for the podcast to my community and they said nah we're not interested in that because we're readers we're readers you know we don't like listening to things we like reading content and that to me was absolutely fascinating in terms of distribution so now since then A lot of my thinking has gone towards, well, yeah, let's find the voracious listeners, the people who are um, very, very much on podcasts and listening and learning through that way. So I, I think it's absolutely fascinating, but I want to move into our next topic and talk about speaker selection Because like both of you, I I receive regular pictures from PR folks and founders of MarTech startups and all kinds of different people asking to join the Making Sense of MarTech podcast. But there is a bit of an art and a bit of a science to how you actually find and select speakers. And what are those qualities in a great speaker? Phil, you just mentioned before you had Corey Haynes on yours, which saw a bump in subscribes. Uh, But what has been that process? How do you find the diamond in the rough? So Phil, did you want to kick us off? How do you go about selecting speakers? Yeah, sure. Most
1: most of the pitches I get from uh, from email are are from PR folks representing agencies or, or ad tech vendors. I get a ton of ad tech vendors. I don't know. It's like it's the name of our podcast, but like uh, the majority of them end up being like ad tech vendors. But actually, very rarely say yes to to pitches. Like uh, I think people think that like we're we're a huge show just because like they're they're looking for like a podcast to pitch and they just like copy paste that across like a bunch of podcasts and they send it back to their their clients. But, um, yeah, it's only happened a few times where I've like kind of agreed to it because it was a a known name or someone I was kind of familiar with it. Most of the time I'll like, just like reach out to someone that I'm familiar with because I follow them and like, I'm a fan of their content. I know that they have something unique that they've shared before that I'd love to like just double down on and and dive super deep with. Um, but it's evolved for sure. Like at the start of the podcast journey, it was just getting, um, folks from my network on, on the show and just like growing that out of Ottawa, Canada into like bit more of like the Twitter sphere now, like I'm pretty often on Twitter and um, listen and 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 learn from a lot of smart folks on Twitter, even though like it's, it's a bit of a cesspool uh, for for folks that are just like resharing the same content here and there. But there is like some some diamond in, in, in the roughs there. And like you said, some of the folks like Corey that, that we had on the show are folks that I've followed for a long time, many years, and have already learned from. And I know that like the listeners that we have are, are going to get a ton of value from them. So for me, like a quality voice in, in MarTech is someone who has something valuable and unique to share. Uh, like I mentioned, like Twitter is just like a, a cesspool of folks that are just like resharing the same advice over and over again. A personal brand is important your company should be a media company. Like you hear that over and over again. And I think that like, you can often find these speakers who do the rounds on podcasts and They don't add anything to the conversation. It's just to like build their own personal brand or get traffic to their company's site. They don't care about adding valuable content in the ether. So that's, that's what I'm looking for. Like diverse voices, interesting perspectives and uh, unique takes.
0: How about you, Ben? Because from what I've seen, you have a very structured, very interesting way of both collecting information for potential guests and then qualifying those people as well. Um, Can you take us through that?
2: there's three phases when you're just starting a podcast, you have to leverage your personal network, like Phil was mentioning, finding people that you already have a relationship with because you probably don't have much of an audience to share the content with. And so they're not only contributing their time, but hopefully they are helping you share the content and, and getting your first few listeners, which start the flywheel. Um, At some point, once you are consistently publishing, and and most of this has to do with when you're showing up in the Apple podcast uh, rankings, you'll start to get contacted by PR reps and you can't fill your entire podcast slate. And there are some interesting people that will come in and you have to sort of use your judgment to filter who feels relevant to your audience and then match that with who can you now get access to? Cause you can reach out and say, I, the founder of the MarTech podcast and uh, you know, we think you'd be great on the show and you can reach out to people that are more aspirational and less in your direct network. Um, we scaled to the point where we get a big influx of, or we, we see a, a, a I don't know, we get like 30 to 40 speaker applications a month. Um, and so our challenge is now not how do we find qualified speakers, but how do we choose between them? And so we built an algorithm that looks at a couple different signals. Um, we first off look at diversity and inclusion, right? We ask people for their pronouns and we ask them for their ethnicity. Obviously, uh, nobody has to answer that, but we give basically a bonus for people that are from backgrounds, which we don't have a lot of speakers from. We look at their, let's call it social signals. We ask them for their LinkedIn, Twitter profiles, their domains. Um, They self report an email list. And so we're taking all the data that we can get out of that, whether it be number of followers on LinkedIn or your domain rank, and we kind of prioritize those based on the platforms where we see the most growth from when we have a guest that has a big, let's say, LinkedIn following, and they're talking about a specific topic, then is that content generally well shared with that social platform? Um, and then lastly, we look at the revenue opportunity. We ask them, are you interested in being a sponsor? Do you want us to help you share the content? Do you want us to retarget our listeners for you? Are you interested in advertising? And when they say yes or no, you know, we evaluate them more on a Partnership relationship. At the end of the day, it's it's always a judgment call. But we sort of take all of that data, we crunch it down into a score, and then I prioritize the guests we are um, that are requesting to be on our show by what their score is. Now, I don't always go to the top and just approve them. Sometimes I'm looking at the bottom and saying, "Oh, well, this is one from this week in Martech, and he might not have the biggest LinkedIn following." But his 1,200 emails, because he writes this week in Martech, are much more valuable in terms of growing our audience. And, oh, by the way, I know him and I like him and he's smart, so he's going to be on the show. Um, so, you know, at the end of the day, the buck stops with me in terms of who gets on the show. But um, the, the filtering and ranking process, we've had to become more sophisticated because otherwise we're just kind of like, you know, licking our finger, putting it in the air and trying to figure out which way the wind is blowing.
0: Yeah, I think it's very interesting. I mean, there's such a really, really special thing about finding a guest that really clicks, not just, I guess, across their following, uh, the kind of content they're producing, but also the chemistry as well. I mean, not everyone in MarTech can have a great conversation. And that's just the reality of uh, people participating in media. You know, I've had some shows where it was just very difficult to tease out the conversation from somebody. Um, or often you see this with, particularly with B2B SaaS businesses, is that they have to kind of toe the party line in a lot of ways. You know, they, they have to stick to the script. They've got a, their PR team that are ruthlessly editing the podcast. So they can't really deviate or, or uh, look at different angles of a conversation. And so it's interesting. There's some things you don't know. Until you actually have that person on, uh, particularly around chemistry and how they have a conversation as well, because I think between the three of us, we do love the wrestle. You know, we do love wrestling with some of these topics and actually unpacking them, exploring them, and um, and contributing back to the industry some fantastic insights uh, from from leaders in the space. Um, but. Like all of us, I do get the PR pitches as well. And the first question I ask is, well, what are you writing to the industry? What are you um, talking about? Are you doing a YouTube show? Are you doing other content? Give me something, one thing that is interesting and that you're actually contributing back to the industry. Because I personally think that there is sort of two types of people in MarTech. There's people who are building the industry and there's people who are trying to extract value out of it. And you can really quickly tell by how much they participate with the community, what content they're writing about. Is it all just content marketing? It's all sell, sell, sell. Or is it really thoughtful, good critique, um, analysis? Is it contributing to something? You know, I think that to me is one of the more important aspects is, is this person actually contributing Contributing some way significantly to the industry to help build it because we're all here to build this industry and to make it a better place and a great place for people to come and work so i think that's, uh, and that's an important aspect as well but i ben i want to talk to you for a few minutes i, I want to talk about i hear everything so you re- recently launched this parent company and you're obviously you're um your journey, your career so far has been very successful in building and launching and scaling these podcasts across a bunch of domains, not just in MarTech, but across a whole bunch of different industries as well. But I want to know, I mean, you're investing massively into the podcast industry and you seem confident that it's going to continue to grow. But how do you see the future of podcasting playing out? What And how are you investing into it? How do you see that? Yeah.
2: You know, I I think that we're still... In the early innings, to use a baseball metaphor in the growth of the podcast industry, I feel like we haven't even gotten to the point of acceptance of where every company realizes they need to have a podcast. And I think about this just using other content marketing channels as comparisons. When blogging came out or websites, right? Not every company thought they needed a website, they didn't think they needed a blog. Why do Why do we need to write content? And now it's just become an industry standard. Of course, our company has some sort of a publication associated with it and a digital presence. And so we're early on in the adoption of podcasting and on-demand audio content as a medium. Um, So I think that there's going to be continued evolution. Um, There'll probably also be some consolidation in the industry. Everything is very fragmented, My hope is there'll be some better industry standards um, for measurement. I'm optimistic that uh, Brian Barletta and Tom Edison at Sounds Profitable are are starting to really push the industry towards better, more consistent measurement. But at the end of the day, I think that podcast is really a segment of this sort of larger creator marketing phenomenon that we're having. And it is creators that are not just being siloed. I am not just going to build the MarTech podcast to be an audio-only medium. We have newsletters. We have social feeds. You know, maybe someday we'll get into to video, although I hesitate a little bit to say that. But down the road, I don't want to pay for a video editor. They're expensive. But, uh, you know, down the road, uh, you know, maybe we'll, we'll do live video or something like that. But moral of the story is that you know there are people that are creating great content. We're starting to see them bounce around from medium to medium and move their audiences into sort of different places and meeting them where the audience wants to consume the content. And so as I think about the growth of the, the podcast industry, I think it becomes a large contributing part to this creator economy that we're seeing. Um, And I think that, you know, the use of collection, use of data is sort of an under penetrated space within creators where, you know, people are thinking just about the awareness, getting in front and saying the message and saying the ad, but we're not always as an industry thinking about who did that ad get played to and how do we follow up with them with an experience that is relevant. And that's a lot of what I hear everything is sort of built around the, the, the premise of, merging both the awareness driving activities of content and the demand generation, the pipeline fillers in data and and performance marketing as well.
0: See, I think it's very interesting. I mean, if you look at another channel, say email, um, email is ancient, but it's still a massive multi-billion dollar industry. And podcasting is very similar. It's ancient in internet days, but it's still a massive industry and it's only just growing. And I think one of the risks with podcasting is I think what I call platform dominance. So, you know, I mentioned Spotify earlier where they're investing massively. They also acquired two podcasting companies and both of them around analytics and you can start to see these walled gardens go up around the podcasting industry you know um, it's i don't think it's ever been as closed as it's ever been before for example using that joe rogan instance where they actually acquired the joe rogan podcast you can only get it on spotify now now i used to listen to joe rogan from time to time he had some fantastic guests but now i can only access that through spotify and that to me is a walled garden play and that to me is something where you're starting to see these companies where they're, me- they're aggregating content, media and advertising and subscription um, starting to sort of target podcasting because of it's coming more valuable as a medium and the audiences are onboarding in greater amounts as well. And so that's one of the risks I see is that it will actually become a greater walled garden. Like even Apple Podcasts offers the ability to monetize for creators to monetize their podcast through subscriptions okay so that's one channel um and if a if a customer is subscribing to apple Podcasts and they're purchasing the subscriptions from creators that keeps those both the creator and the consumer locked into that one platform so i think above us there's this sort of battle of the titans almost around who's going to win the podcast game you know who's going to actually own these audiences that are becoming incredibly valuable because you know what podcasting is a significantly valuable content channel in terms of influence, in terms of the, the way to, to really connect with people emotionally, greater than I think in a lot of ways than written content or other formats. And so what are your thoughts on that? Phil, Ben, do you have any reaction to that? Do you think that's a risk? How do you think you sh- we should be navigating that? I, I, I
2: totally to relate to what you said. The like- world. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> One at a time. <laughs> Phil, how Phil, about you go first?
2: Take it away.
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I totally relate to like podcasting being this like very personal medium. Like there is a strong emotional connection because you're basically like giving someone else's time to be a voice in your ear. And that's different than every other marketing channel, maybe aside from like radio ads. But when you're talking about email, like email is like pretty personal, but at the end of the day, you're you're reading something, right? Like you've got a ton of competition in that inbox, but when you're going to walk your dog or you're doing chores and you're putting on your headphones, you're giving your time and that person has complete direct access to your ear and it's unfiltered and you can get really deep into conversations. So um, yeah, I think it's interesting what you said too, Ben. Like there, it feels like we're still like very nascent in terms of like um, the audience evolution around it. Like I still have tons of friends that are just like, they think I'm crazy for having a podcast because they don't listen to podcasts at all. They still would rather listen to like music When they go on a walk with their dog, but like, I don't remember the last time that I listened to music when I went on a walk, like it's always a podcast. Um, My, my co-host like doesn't listen to as many podcasts as as I do, but like, um, I feel like it's so early in the, in the, in the journey of the, of that industry.
2: I think less about, and I made the joke earlier, sorry if anybody didn't hear it while I was interrupting Phil, but I was like, isn't (laughs) Apple just going to dominate the world and own everything? (laughs) Um, And and Apple and Spotify and maybe Google and Amazon are all going to duke it out at the top. And that's all well and good. And I don't think that there's going to be just like in digital content. I don't think that there is one winner. Right. I think everybody Mm. has a share uh, sort of at the macro lens. I think of the that sort of next tier down of those large corporations are going to be. Buying up podcast networks, analytics companies, and we're starting to see this. There's, you know, sort of the the rest of the ecosystem as it ages is going to consolidate. So, to me, you know, I think that there's a lot of opportunity for the people that are in podcasting or getting into it now over the next five to 10 years to build assets that not only can shape the industry but also that have, uh, you know, exit event potential. There's tons of opportunities in podcast analytics. Uh, obviously, you know, the, the content aggregation, you know, we're focused on sort of the marketing side just because of the nature of my work and how I got started into podcasts of like how do people not only have podcasts, but also make sure that the podcasts are helping their business. I, I think that we saw this in the broader media landscape, Right, where there's these little studios that get gobbled up by the bigger studios, which get gobbled up by the holding companies. And so I think that we're going to see a lot of that in the next decade of, you know, some private equity firm comes up and buys all the business podcasts, which then gets acquired by Amazon, Mm -hmm. something along those lines. Yeah, there's... Um, there's
0: Yeah, this, it's interesting. I think the one example is the um, A16Z. So they're a, obviously they're a venture capitalist firm, but they launched their own, they've got a podcast, but they launched their own media brand called future.com. So can you imagine how expensive buying the domain future.com would be? They didn't say how much it was, but I imagine it runs in the hundreds of thousands of thousands. But they bought that domain and they invest massively in building their own media channel. And it sort of follows this narrative of every company is a media company, right? You're a media company that happens to, sell x you know you happen to invest in companies you happen to sell consulting whatever but there is a lot of specific knowledge that goes into building a media company and to scaling it well. And to having not just a perspective that helps your own business, but perspectives that are diverse enough to actually play with some of the bigger media companies out there as well in this industry. But for MarTech, I think the content sort of ecosystem around MarTech is still very early. I think it's very young, even though the concept for MarTech has been around for more than a decade. I think we're just starting to see the emergence of uh, like what you're doing Ben Shapiro with uh with I hear everything the emergence of these really serious media companies that are actually really going for it and building massive audiences and and driving a lot of value in the in the industry so I'm hoping that the titans as they battle battle it out they at least, at least leave some space for people to create their companies you know to create these wonderful channels where uh, they can create and and build innovative media products so but that's my piece I mean I I often think about plot Platform dominance and the role it has in content creation. Because I'm a creator myself,
2: I think that there's a a, a level that we're missing, Ooh, okay. which is we're seeing large institutions, not Apple, um, but you know companies that are smaller creating media networks. So you mentioned A16 as an example, yeah. HubSpot. I'll preface this with Martech podcast is a member of the HubSpot podcast network, but LinkedIn as well. Like there are lots of large organizations that are creating these media networks. And so I do think that, you know, it's not just small companies that are saying, great, we're going to go create a bunch of shows or private equity that's going to round them up. It's, large companies are starting to say, I'm going to have relationships with all of the independent creators and be more of an aggregation
0: play. Um, and so I think that that's just important to mention as well. No, yeah, I, I think that's a very good point because even recently, I think a month ago, HubSpot announced a creator fund. So they've got a mm-hmm. bespoke uh, fund that is investing into upstart uh, media content companies. So you can start to see that you, and LinkedIn, create, LinkedIn has a creator program and you're starting to see it uh, because I think the value of content, I think a lot of companies are turning around and seeing how valuable it is to actually own an audience and how much leverage it creates, particularly when it comes to launching products, to driving awareness and all of those wonderful things. Doing media is a form of leverage and it's accessible to everyone now we're getting to to a later stage where everyone was a creator back 10 years ago and now we're coming to a stage where these companies have grown people have built something of value and now we're suddenly see more investment and more of those um those platform companies actually coming in and, and supporting that so it's very interesting you've got platform dominance on one side and then you've got all this enablement and investing into the um the content creator environment as well very interesting time to be a podcaster but phil i want to talk to you for a minute and talk about both you and john your co-founder of the Humans of MarTech podcast. Uh, You run the podcast as a side gig along along with your full-time job. And I want to ask you the question, how do you navigate that with your employer? What does that look like in terms of your working relationship? I run the podcast, my podcast, alongside my full-time role as well. But how do you navigate that? What does that look like with your employer and also with your co-founder as well?
1: Yeah, I can't really imagine how I'd be able to have a full time job and a podcast on the side if I had if I had kids. So uh, I, I hope to one day, but I don't have any yet. So the bulk of my free time is just spent it can on be the done. podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that like it, you know eventually one day we hit the scale where like we can like hire someone to help us out with like things here and there because like right now we don't outsource anything. Like I do don't record like, most of the work. Yeah, exactly. Guest research, outreach, like the topics and questions, tools and equipment. I edit the episodes, optimize them. My wife does the, the cover art for a lot of our podcast episodes. I write the blog posts on the site. Like there's there's a lot of different pieces, but most of that is just done like on, on Saturdays. Like Saturdays is for the podcast. I have a process down to a T now. My wife watches some garbage reality TV and I throw on my headphones and I just work on the Podcast, so um, relationship with my employer is is pretty straightforward. Like like nine to five, I'm still working like 100 percent of the time for WordPress. I sometimes do stuff in the evenings, but honestly, like just don't have the energy for it most of the time. Like it's really Saturdays, sometimes on Sundays, but I find that that's like enough time to to get most of the stuff done. The only time it really interferes with kind of work hours is like we we launch all of our episodes on Tuesdays, um, so we do like one episode every week regularly. We drop on Tuesdays, but I like pre-schedule, pre-write a lot of like our social promo. We have like a mini newsletter that we send out that we start doing as well. And all of that's kind of done on Saturday as well. So I have like 15, 20 minutes on Tuesday where I'm like pressing release on a lot of the stuff. But um, yeah, my employer is still very much my priority. The podcast doesn't pay any of my bills in my personal life. So I don't have to really rely on, uh, I don't really have any monetization plans for it anytime soon. Like it's really just a fun play right now. We don't get to like have to listen to anyone else and tell us like what we need to talk about. No one controls like what we chat about. And so, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, one. Well,
0: yeah, it definitely does. I, I mean, I can relate <laughs> quite a bit because I run a podcast and newsletter and online community and I have two kids and a job. So <laughs> I can <could> see how, <laughs> I can see how, um, yeah, because I use my weekends as well. And you know what, Phil, I find really interesting is that through the busyness of the work week and the news cycles of the week, Monday to Friday, I use my Sundays to write and uh, to do my podcast production. And I absolutely love it because you're outside of the noise. I mean, I find content creation quite difficult personally when um, in the midst of a lot of noisy things, you've got email notifications, you've, you're on calls back and forth, very hard to actually sit down and create good content. So I, mm-hmm. I resonate with your approach to doing things on weekends. I am not a fan of doing things in the evening, but it is a bit of a hustle, isn't it? I mean, you don't get paid to do your podcast, neither do I, it is a passion project. And it's that's what I love about some of these podcasts and talking to content creators is that they're doing... Doing things that they want to exist in the industry. Nobody's telling them to do it. It's a work of creation. Even yesterday, I was posting on social about this in that, you know, my kids, I've got a two year old and a four year old, and they play all day, maybe 10 hours a day. They're all playing all the time. They're creating things with, you know, with Play Doh. They're doing craft. They're doing all this crazy stuff all the time. But you know what? Both my wife and I, we don't ask them to do that. We don't ask them to go and create this thing, they just do it and they feel like that's something that should exist you know the a crazy drawing on a on a random plate or a play-doh sculpture or whatever it is and i think that's that sort of there's an element of creative play in a lot of this mm-hmm. and explore exploration experimentation actually going through and actually okay what what is really resonating with our audience how can we optimize subject lines how can we optimize the titles of our podcast what does our guest selection look like a lot of that is hustle but phil and uh both you and your, your co-founder john i can imagine it's a lot of fun like you mentioned before that uh your podcast started from from some deep chats from some deep conversations and some wrestling you have had uh, both between yourselves so is, is that how you approach it in terms of um the content is it play? Is it fun or is it work or what does that look like to you
1: Yeah. I'm definitely not like perpetuating the idea that like everyone should be working on weekends if they want to have like a side hustle. Like I, I do it because like, it's, it's my passion project. Like some people watch sports, some people like play sports. Some people like have a bunch of different hobbies. Like this is one of my hobbies. And like you said, like I enjoy doing it. I'm probably going to keep doing it until I don't enjoy doing it anymore. And most of the time, like, it's just getting to really like think deeply about like, Things that I think myself like five, 10 years ago, would have like really um, like loved hearing or like would have been super valuable for them. Like I've learned so much from folks like Matthew Sweezy at Salesforce and Matthew Barbie, former HubSpot guy. Like they put out a ton of content and I was like reading them super early in my career and I've learned so much from them. And like I'm at a stage now where I'm like a decade in and I'm Just like, there's a lot of things that I think that like, um, like early grads, like early marketers can just kind of like pick up and know about before they like hit the industry. It's just like a a passion thing. And that's kind of grown from like ranting with John, but also just like teaching uh, that I did for a little bit. So I don't do that anymore. And I I just like the the teaching is is done in the form of rants uh, on the podcast now.
0: (laughs) <laughs> That's great. And yeah, it's. I think there's a really interesting perspective around uh, newcomers to the industry. It is, MarTech is a maze in a lot of ways. It's, it's very yeah. challenging to actually understand what things you should be learning and focusing on what kind of network you should be creating as well. I have two mentees and I catch up with them once a month and both early stage in their career, and both of them are trying to figure them out. One of them, actually, and to give a shout out to um, his name is Faiz, um, and he's part of the TMW community, is creating a, a career guide for MarTech and he started sharing some of his early work with the tmw community and it's wonderful to see that but it's also like why isn't somebody creating those kinds of career growth guides you know where is the mentorship where is that learning for young people coming into the industry because if we're not investing in the next generation i mean who's going to be working in the space who's going to be doing life cycle strategy like you're doing at wordpress you know who's going to be building these massively scaled media networks like you, you are ben shapiro so i think it's really important i mean and i really do appreciate Appreciate your view there on investing on the next generation of marketers and technologists. And it's a lot of fun as well. Um, so, okay, let's round this conversation out because I want to know between the three of us, I think we have a very sort of interesting perch on the industry and seeing and talking with a bunch of people across the space and all different types of, sort of work and all types of different technologies but you know, what is a few things that have changed or challenged how you perceive the industry since you started? Maybe you have one story to share between us, between the three of us, and how it's actually really changed your view on Martech and and how you've approached your work as well. So Ben Shapiro, I'm gonna pick on you first.
2: Um I've learned a tremendous amount from interviewing, I don't know, hundreds of people in the MarTech industry and, and the marketing industry through my shows. So it's hard to pinpoint sort of one change. I feel like what's been useful for having a podcast is it's helped me get my finger on the pulse of what's happening in the industry broadly. Um, I think that maybe the biggest learning for me is understanding the data side of this developing medium. And we're building data tools and, and helping podcasters retarget their listeners. And, um, you know, the stuff that I didn't think I'd be doing five years ago when I turned on a microphone and begged people to talk to me for an hour. You know, like I never thought that there would be this much opportunity to build processes and automation and and learn how to create data tools. So from a, I guess, a personal learning perspective. like I I think that there's two real sources. There's so much opportunity in the industry that it's allowed dummies like me to try to figure out how to build things like data tools. Um, But I can do that because I've had the opportunity to talk to some really smart people along the way who were able to sort of impart some knowledge. So if you're a listener to podcasts, that's one way to get a lot of information is to be a content consumer and the other way is to be a content creator. So if you're listening to this podcast, maybe think about creating your own.
1: I love it. I definitely echo with that for sure. I find that, Uh, Something that's interesting with like Martech, maybe like marketing in, in general is like folks are very opinionated. Like there's like, we get a bunch of different takes from different folks. Some folks hate some tools. Some folks love them. Some folks stand by personal brands, but like some folks think they're a complete waste of time. What I've found the most interesting is like the last question that we ask all of our guests on the podcast is the same question. We ask them how they balance everything they have going on in life and how they remain successful and happy. In their careers. And the answers are always like really deep and refreshing after like talking about MarTech for like 20 minutes and like maybe talking about content strategy and like work that we kind of like finish things off with just like, all right, like outside of work, like how do you stay happy? How do you like balance everything? And that's what I find like the most interesting with, with having different folks on the show. Like there's a bunch of different strategies that people take for kind of like staying happy and stuff. Most folks are, are honest and saying that they don't have a, good balance with their personal life and and their work life and they end up still though giving us some really good tips on on how they plan to improve that in the future many folks advocate for like trying different things so that you can discover what you love and double down on that sort of zone of genius because a lot of folks that we chat with are kind of like stuck in their jobs and like one day they just took a leap they tried something else they found out that they loved it and now they're like super happy in their career so um yeah it's been super fun like We we've heard from some folks that have like reached out from listening on the cast and, um, they've really like made it sort of like a mission and like made it worth our time like we had one listener who reached out on email and was just like uh i i was stuck in this like dead end job hated what i was doing and i listened to like your martech saga on life cycle and i just like picked up a lot of like what you guys were talking about i read a lot more about it i quit my job i started freelancing now i'm a life cycle freelancer i work in hubspot and marketo and i love what i do i make twice as much more money so it's like story stories like that where like we kind of balance like all the technology stuff and the strategy stuff with like also just like being mindful about like reminding folks that like you're you're working in martech and your skills are super valuable and like today there is so much opportunity there like there's too much opportunity for you to be working at a job that you don't like or be working for a boss that you're not a fan of so um yeah like maybe it's recency bias here but like one of the last folks that we we chatted with this will be an interesting episode one for you for you to listen to we we dived into a lot of web 3 stuff i saw some of your your comments (laughs) earlier this week but this this person um Nick, the wild, he, he talked about practicing gratitude and this is something like, uh, my founder, when I was at close IO talked a lot about when it comes to like finding like happiness in your life. And so Nick was like, not because you're kind of like luckier than others, but like because gratitude is really good for your psyche. Like like a lot of people talk about like walking around and pretending like it's your last day on earth. But like, when's the last time you actually tried doing that and like savoring every moment and just like realizing that like we get paid a lot of money to like be writing words and sitting on a computer right now, like compared to like what a lot of our ancestors were doing. So that can sort of allow you to be like resilient, a form of like happiness that doesn't depend on, you know, the state of like the, the financial market right now, so to speak, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I find that that's been like a, a, a key learning um, more than like uh, Martech strategies or, or, or like Martech technologies. It's like learning from folks about like their their day to day lives. How do they stay happy and
0: successful?
2: god Phil's answer was so much better than mine what he said that's, that's, really,
0: that's really good yeah I mean I think it's it's so true I think that it rings true the humans of Martech. I mean there's real people behind this stuff you know and they do wrestle with the things of life and I think that is just absolutely fascinating to have that um, aspect so definitely for my listeners definitely give give humans of Martech a, a go because I think it's a very very interesting and good to get those kinds of perspectives in um, but you know I think for me uh, I I think there's two things. I think, um, I think embracing the wrestle and challenging agendas is probably the biggest things that have come out of my podcasting journey so far. So really early on, I had a, a bigger name come on to the podcast and I wanted to talk about a certain topic. And I did my show notes. I sent that over a week and a and I did all my prep. And I jumped on the podcast with this person and they said, I don't want to talk about that at all. Um, I want to talk about something completely different. And at that moment, I realized, and they were actually quite rude about it as well. Um, And at that moment, I realized, okay, people have a specific agenda they're trying to push here. And you know, I, I now from now on, I've kind of avoided those, those types of people who are just trying to push a specific agenda or trying to sell a certain thing. And they're very aggressive on that because that leads into my second point, which is the wrestle. One of the biggest points of feedback I've received so far is, uh, and it first came to me actually, when I interviewed a a lovely lady, her name was Jess Box and she heads up growth for a company called Linktree. So they're um, really fast growing Australian startup and they're in the sort of web CMS type space. And we sat down for an interview for an hour and we were wrestling with the creator economy and the value proposition of this company and i had a few challenging direct questions for her but at the end it really changed my perspective when she said to me she said one i i do interviews like this all the time and a journalist are just looking for the pr headlines that's all they're after mm-hmm. and it's the first time i've actually been on a podcast and talked about something at depth and had a real challenging wrestle around some of these topics. And then I realized, wow, in the MarTech industry, there is a lot of agenda pushing and not a lot of deep thought around what's actually happening in the industry. So that's why I actually really appreciate both the MarTech podcast slash I hear everything and humans of MarTech and how both of you are actually really helping this industry wrestle with some of these topics. Um, It's not just agenda pushing. It's not just content marketing. It's the real exploration of uh, what's actually happening, really trying to get to ground truth on what's, what's, what's important and helping people navigate that as well. And so that's the biggest things that have come out from me, you know, try to avoid those people. that are just trying to push their gender and just trying to sell and look for those people who are really trying to wrestle and, and explore these topics and get to something valuable in terms of a conversation so so very very interesting chat i mean i hope our listeners enjoyed this one it's very meta a, a podcast about a podcast about a podcast but i want to throw to both of you where can we find you on the internet i'd love you to shout out your social handles and also where we can find your content and your podcast
1: Over ben i'll let you go first
2: i was gonna say you go first uh one first off, uh, I enjoyed this conversation. Phil, it was great to meet you. Uh, Anybody that's interested in what we're doing at I Hear Everything, uh, I Hear Everything is kind of the company and the brand that we use for corporate relationships, so sponsors and stuff like that. Go to IHearEverything.com. And under the I Hear Everything umbrella, we have three shows, the MarTech podcast, MarTechPod.com, Voices of Search, VoicesofSearch.com, and then our new show, the Revenue Generator podcast, which is revgenpod.com. And uh, hey guys, any either of you, please come on the, the MarTech podcast anytime you want. Love to have you as my guest.
1: Yeah, I would love it, man. Uh, be uh, be on it for sure. I'm a huge fan of the, the podcast. It's super fun. Thanks for having me on, uh, Juan. Um, you guys can find me on Twitter. I'm a G-A-M-A-C-P uh, at Twitter. i like a little bit active on Twitter, mostly listen uh, to stuff, but pushing out new episodes there uh, all the time. Um, got, got LinkedIn stuff going a little bit too. You can find me on LinkedIn, but, uh, main site for the podcast is humansofmartech.com powered by WordPress.com. But, uh, yeah, you can find us there publishing new episodes usually on every Tuesday. Um, but might be taking a break during the summer, uh, TBD on that, but, uh, yeah, thanks again, Juan. This is super fun.
0: Oh, wonderful to have you both. And we will be regularly interviewing people who are featured every week in the Martech Weekly and delving into topics that subscribers care about. Uh, But people like Ben and Phil, who are really at the forefront of their industry. And so if you'd like to read and subscribe, you can head to themartechweekly.com. Until next time.